Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, we talk asset management and collaboration with my guests, Rob Gabrielchuk, Ashley Barrett, and Claire Gowson. If you haven't yet, follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn and sign up for the weekly reliability newsletter at robsreliability.com slash email dash list. I'm hoping to outsource some of the work that comes with content production. And if you're selling products and services to maintenance and reliability folks, definitely send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. We have some various advertising options available, so definitely hit me up if that sounds interesting to you. Lastly, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, or questions you want answered on the podcast, send me an email, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and here's the interview with Rob, Ashley, and Claire. Hey guys, we are back and we have a few special guests today. So we have three special guests. We have Ashley Barrett, an associate partner at Meliorate. We have Claire Gowson, the principal consultant at Atkins. And we have Rob Gabrielchuk, the managing director at Aeon Engineering. Guys, how are you? You're very good, thank you. Great, thanks. Good to be here, Rob. No, I appreciate you. I appreciate each one of you joining us today. Now, I mean, we've had Rob on the show before, so maybe we'll start off with Rob. Can you just give us a quick background on yourself before we get into it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, thanks for the introduction. I'm the managing director at uh, Aon Engineering, which is a, a specialist engineering consultancy serving the R and D and aerospace sector here in the UK. Um, I'm not a, a natural kind of an asset manager. I should kind of forewarn people. I come more from a, a system design, better background. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the last time when you were on the show, we talked a little bit about systems engineering. So yeah, if people right. are looking for that one, hit, hit the archives and, and check that one out. Claire, do you want to give us a little introduction on yourself? Yeah, um, I work for Atkins, which is an engineering consultancy uh, in the UK and worldwide. Uh, my background is transportation asset management, though I'm not an engineer. My background's actually law, so uh, don't ask me how I ended up here. Um, so yeah, my um, asset management um, history is formed through the mostly through the highways, transportation type sector, but I've also worked with uh, electricity, transmission, ports, various different other kinds of organisations. So yeah, looking forward to having a good debate on this podcast. Oh, if I would have known you were a lawyer, I wouldn't have had you on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm sorry in advance. (laughs) So, Ashley, do you want to give us a little introduction on yourself? Yeah, that'd be great, um, Rob. I I consult for an advisory practice called Meliorate, which is a a German entity um, present across Europe. And... um, so I, I guess I have to confess I am an engineer um, and probably have been working in infrastructure and probably asset management for longer than I would care to remember. But 
um, you know, definitely um, most of my career has been around concepts which I now understand to be what we might call asset management. Perfect. And, and I guess for me, like, I, I before we get into some of the collaboration questions, I wanted to kick off today with a question that we've really been bouncing around at work and also on LinkedIn. And that that's the question, which is, you know, what's the value of asset management? I don't know if you have any quantitative stats on it or just like a general perspective, but maybe maybe Rob kick us off with what your thoughts are. Uh, well, for me, I think um, anything and everything could be considered a, an asset. And I mean, ultimately, uh, we're all sort of people using assets in different kind of ways to uh, achieve a specific objective. So for me, asset management really is the sort of the, the consolidation of understanding that the people, the systems, the assets that we're using, how they're specifically used, how they're specifically maintained, how they go about decommissioning or expandability. So it's a full real like life, life cycle uh, engineering process for me. That's, but that's my specific take. Awesome. Claire, do you have any thoughts? So um, just picking up on that value question, I think it depends on obviously what on your organization is and what your assets are. Um, but to me, the value of asset management as a discipline is, is connecting all the parts of your organization. And I don't mean that physically in an asset sense, just necessarily. I mean, the people who are delivering all the different functions, connecting all those people so that they're all work, working towards the same goals and that they're kind of more than the sum of their parts. And it can be incredibly difficult to put a financial value on that because often um, the value of asset asset management and the, and the changes you make as a result of an asset management improvement program um, are hard to pin down solely to that improvement program. And indeed, uh, sometimes people don't want to pin it down solely to that. So uh, I think that's often why it's quite difficult to, to get some some hard stats on financial value of that, that kind of improvement. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also think that, I mean, the, the devil's advocate sort of is is then why should we try type of thing? Like everyone knows there's value, but it's hard to quantify. Now, Ashley, do you have anything to add on that question? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think um, I've been talking to people probably in the last three months about the concept which I'm calling asset stewardship. And I think the word stewardship is, is um, intended to imply a holistic view on um, on an entity and perhaps um, holistic view on on having a line of sight between um, between you know what what people at a tactical level of, are doing and people at perhaps a a, a, a governance uh, position are doing so that sense of actually all having a common view on what is done and how it's actually delivered um and so as claire says i, I think it's it's sometimes hard to us to, to, to assign that value in in absolute terms but actually it's all part of a an ongoing um endeavor to actually make the best decisions around assets and so for me you know i guess i work in infrastructure so it's around um large investments of people processes and technology to make things happen um uh, you know I, I i think um 
the benefits of asset management are still not completely understood. And so actually, one of the things that I think we ought to do is to try to be clearer about what those benefits actually are. So when you say be clearer about what those benefits are, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, actually, it's about creating simple words for things which are quite complicated. So, you know, or trying to explain how organizations work, um, you know, is simple in principle, but hard in practice. So actually, in reality, I think we, we, we probably as asset managers, we need to actually get better at explaining the work we do in ways which are simple. So, I, you know, I think health and safety has managed to do it. Quality has managed to do it. Um, you know, and the environmental sector perhaps has managed to do it. So, you know, asset management is a management endeavor around whole of whole of life thinking. You know, we, we, we've got to get better at actually being able to describe what we're doing and why it matters. Do you, do you see the the value conversation of asset management sort of maturing and like eventually we'll get those financial statistics as sort of this ISO 55,000 movement matures? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, um, I, I think if you, if you look at the situation in Germany, the Germans are, are not so interested in the conversation about having everything around financial value and they see different types of value so I, I suppose I'm torn in answering that question there to, to think, well, actually, you know, what is value is, a, is an interesting question. And if value is just financial value, then actually we're missing something in the conversation. Um, Ashley, can I, can I ask you something about that? I think it's a really interesting area, but do you see value as being quite a, a static thing or do you see it being relatively dynamic when you consider potentially different objectives at different phases or say transitions of organizations? Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, that's a good question, Rob. Um, for me, asset management's probably the wrong title for what we're trying to do anyway. So I'm very much of a view that in fact, in reality, we should be using a dynamic title like asset managing rather than something which is passive. So no, I, I absolutely agree that, that at different times, um, there are different things that, that need to be done and it's very much an active endeavor. Um, so you know, do I believe that you get to a point where you've actually done asset management full stop and you can close down your asset management thinking? The answer is clearly no, because it actually never ends. So it's a way of thinking, a way of doing, a way of acting in a dynamic and, and active way. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, from my perspective, I, I look at asset management as like it's alignment with strategic objectives and then it's a process for the decisions that you make to be aligned to those objectives. So as long as you're continuing to make decisions it never ends like that. Uh, maybe I'm completely off base, but that's how I see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would support that. I suppose that 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 goes full circle back to perhaps the point of why it's difficult to actually, you know, Claire makes the point about uh, about trying to define value. It's 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 harder when in a sense that that value is a holistic endeavor which as rob says changes potentially at different stages through the journey 
Um, but, um, you know, absolutely, can, can we as a community define and demonstrate value? I believe we can. Um, but that value might be broader than just financial value. And that's probably quite important for um, collaboration is sort of the topic of this podcast, because if you can't define what it is you're trying to get out of the programs that you're trying to achieve, then it's going to be quite difficult to collaborate with people, bring them on board if they don't know what the point is, essentially. And if you can't articulate that fairly succinctly, then you're going to have an issue, which I think is what a lot of asset management programs do have a problem with. Uh, even, even within an organisation, never mind when you then try and collaborate beyond the, the walls of the, the business that you're in. So when you... I think there's also a, oh, go ahead, Rob. I was just going to add, I think there's also a, a bit of a response time. Um, some areas of uh, an organisation or, or, or of a, a larger entity might actually need more or less time to be able to respond. So there's actually a need for a sort of agility within that collaboration. Um, and it's subject to the flux, you know, the environmental... Uh, stimuli that might be driving the need for the changes in that definition of value you need to have kind of quite a resilient structure to make sure that people can respond to that so so claire you mentioned that asset management sort of has a lack of a defined vision or you know like understanding like a clarity of what they're supposed to do do you want to just elaborate a little bit on that yeah, I think because it's such a, a asset management is a broad strategic discipline, and that means that to make a to make it operate effectively, it's an, it, it fundamentally requires all parts of the organisation, or, or most parts in most cases, and to be to form part of an asset management program, or even you know once you've finished your inverted commas improvement program to carry on business as usual, and then. Um, I think because of that, it can be quite difficult to define all of the the elements of asset management that that need to work effectively for, to make your program deliver. Um, and I think because it's so broad and it can involve everything from um, setting out, you know, refining organisational objectives, policies, strategies, perhaps working out a different outsourcing program, perhaps looking at how you contract things, looking at the engineering and operations side of things, looking at how customer feedback feeds into all, all of those sorts of things. There's a, there's a you know, there are very few bits of an organisation really. Um, if you're looking at kind of large infrastructure organisations, which I guess are the ones I'm most familiar with, there, there, there's almost no bit of the organisation to which asset management is not relevant. And so I think people then think, well, isn't that just running the organisation then? That, that It feels like it's almost all-encompassing, which, you know, it, it often kind of is, really. Because um, even when it comes down to HR, there are, there, are, there are relevant bits, you know, like people's competency and how you deal with performance and you know, how that affects the, the management of assets. So I think because of that, um, it can be quite difficult to, to, to know where to set the borders and the parameters to be able to describe the values without doing that, the value of, of, of asset management without it being very broad uh, and to set it up as a subset of what an organisation is doing. And I think that means that asset management suffers from a bit of an identity problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and I do agree that it is all-encompassing all because it's like, you know, like human assets, when we're talking about HR, like human assets, like people, without people, most organizations aren't running, right? So to me, I see it all encompassing. Now, I guess, Ashley, when you when you talked a little bit about value being more than just financial, do you want to just elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um 
I think in the Anglo-Saxon world, we, we sometimes get stuck um, as a proxy and think value means price or cost, the financial elements of value. But I think actually my experience of being in the continental European perspective is, is that value to continental Europeans is much more holistic. So they might be thinking about, well, actually value could be how can we actually use the talent and expertise and capabilities of the people who are in engaged in this endeavour that we're working together on? It might be, well, actually, how can we look to minimise or mitigate our use of resources? It might be, you know, how can we actually use... Um, the principles of asset management to actually define a different story perhaps to stakeholders and to various people who are in um, our sphere of influence. So that very much that sort of more holistic um, asset stewardship kind of approach. Um, so conscious that that actually might be you know, just a little bit too holistic, but you know, I think, I think a, a, a broader sense of what value might be. Yeah, I I love it, and I I always, to me, I always look at value. I mean, I come from a little bit of an economics background, and I I look at it like that economic de definition of cost and benefit, right? So I look at it like basically anything can be a benefit, and I mean, in terms of industrials, typically what we'll see most often is the environmental aspects, the safety aspects corporate reputation, stuff like that. So that's that's usually what I see. And and I do think people a lot of a lot of engineers we we don't define those well and we don't quantify those well. And it does lead to issues with some projects that are not just like financially viable at the beginning. Reese Davies, um, who chairs the TC251 committee on asset management, that's the technical committee on asset management that manages ISO 55000, he talks about um, rec organisations recognising value in relation to their values as an organisation. You know, so if you've got if your values, are, you know, you've got your, your three or your five values, whatever you've got on the wall, you know, safety, customer service, um, environment, or what, you know, whatever you've got, um, he, he talks about setting up your value for asset management program in, in relation to those and then trying working to quantify those um and relating those to your um risk evaluation criteria so that everything's connected and i've always thought that sounds pretty solid as a basis and doesn't focus you totally on the financial yeah that, that's a great approach and and more in depth than that i think that we should also do that in our personal lives just to just to completely out of the out of the box thing but it's something that i've been working on lately and it's something that i i recommend people do <laughs> well that's a good idea and a good time of year <clears throat> now switching gears here i wanted to have you guys on today to talk a little bit about collaboration and I source some of these questions from former guests on the show, Lucas, Bob, Sonia, and Suzanne. So thank you for submitting those questions. Now, the first question that I had here 
it says, I enjoy bringing partners together from different industries to solve problems. What do you perceive as the greatest barrier to success in multidisciplinary teams comprised of partners from different industries? Rob, do you want to kick us off? The, uh, well, you, I see a lot of this. Um, so working within sort of the R&D area, you know, everyone is rowing the boat furiously towards the shoreline of something new and novel. And in most instances, it's a case of actually, uh, let's say, stage time, which I think can, can, can really affect relationships and collaboration when it comes to bringing people from different sectors. Everyone wants to share their expertise and share their, you know, their problems with each other. But some people don't necessarily provide uh, enough, let's say, interest or they don't have enough patience to fully understand and, and really hear the problem and hear the problem and how it's going to be solved. So I think there's a bit of a kind of a potentially a, a, an egotistical uh, barrier there in terms of certain disciplines thinking they're either more important or they don't have time for different areas. And I think there's there's a bit of a need for more more projects to have a bit of a sense of togetherness. And I think there's perhaps a, a secondary sort of a, a, a barrier, which is which is to do with this, this idea of differences in management approaches. And I think this is perhaps best understood when you start thinking about sort of traditional design uh, and implementation versus something like a, an agile process, which is much more closer tied to things like software development. So there's perhaps a natural sort of abrasion between uh, some of those sort of discipline areas but I think for me the biggest one that I've seen is is this idea of sort of uh, stage time and, and people not necessarily be, being given enough uh, patience or interest to really delve within the problem and understand what's going on so that everyone can learn collectively and have a much better holistic image of how we're going about you know delivering a project or delivering a program. Claire any thoughts? Yeah, that's. I was musing over Rob's answer. I think that I, I've, I think I've seen symptoms of uh, those kind of um, issues on the projects that I've worked on, Rob. Um, other to to sort of think to think about that slightly differently. I've I've often found that if I'm in a room with people from different industries, the fact that those people are from different industries is often one of the things that makes them try to find some sort of collaboration. I, I often actually find that the bigger issue is with people from the same sort of the same sector but with slightly different specialisms which maybe sounds like different versions of the same thing so for example in highways I often find that um, the structures engineers the pavement engineers the geotechnical guys the drainage guys will all think their asset is unique and special and there's the principles of asset management and trying to make things more consistent or to make things consistent um, decisions in a more consistent way can't possibly apply to their asset type because theirs is special and different so I often perceive that whereas when I'm in a cross-industry type environment the fact that those people have come together tends to make them try try to collaborate so I, I think that it is a it is kind of a, a serious issue and I, I agree with Rob's analysis about maybe it being partly related to, to, to ego and maybe perceiving that um, trying to make um, decisions in a more strategic coherent consistent way is somehow a, a, a threat to either individuals personally or the, you know, the team that they've built or the, the, the legacy or the position they've got in an organization so i think it's it's, it's for the asset management specialist to try and find a way of um making that making it not threatening and, and helping everybody to see that the broader benefit 
of, uh, of, of doing things differently or more collectively. And just one thing, just, um, I was just sorry, I was just going to say, ego was perhaps a bit of a strong thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think it was a strong thing to say. I think it was spot on. <laughs> Ashley, anything to add? In fact, Claire and Rob have probably covered most of what I was going to say. I suppose for me, um, I'd written or, or think that, in fact, actually rushing to solutions um, is actually probably, I think, the greatest threat to um, to actually getting um, multidisciplinary teams to, to succeed. Um, that sense of, you know, look, we're under time pressure or we've got some kind of um, outcome we need to get to. And so, you know, it's survival of the fittest and the people who move fastest are the people who get where they need to be, um, which isn't um, isn't definitely the, um, the best answer. I, the other thing is um, I'm curious about the fact that virtual teams actually sometimes – um, in my personal view, create an artificial barrier. And I, I, and I think that actually the way the world is now working makes it more difficult to actually draw people from different views together because actually the, you've got an added dimension of, um, of, of um, barrier perhaps because of the virtualization. So I think it's something that we as asset management professionals and the asset management sector have to think about um and so you know how do we how do we bring people into that sense of understanding that actually not everybody's going to have the same kind of um perception so um there's a great article um a harvard business review article um written by chris argurist which is i think called something like teaching smart people how to learn and it was produced in 1991 it's been around a very long time but it actually is a really insightful um article about um really trying to challenge the fact that the smartest people are often the people who are most challenged about looking for alternatives because they already know the way things are done in their sector um so it's worth having a look and i i guess um you know Definitely, as a, as 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 people who are, are smart, um, we also need to think about well, how do we draw people into um, into other ways about thinking about old problems? When you when you mentioned there about virtual teams and a, sort of a lack of diversity, is that like what's the what's the context for that statement? Well, I, I think that. In many in many virtual teams, it's about you know product project management, getting things done, doing the work, you know, achieving the goal, um, and actually, so in those kind of contexts, we we don't find a great deal of time to actually just be and to think about well, how could we see the challenge in different ways? So. You know, I, I agree with Claire, it's actually up to us as leaders to actually try to be more thoughtful in how we actually make that happen because actually if we don't, it probably won't happen. Um, and you know I, I don't have the I don't have the solution but but certainly um, may need to be more thoughtful, I think if it's if it's virtual teams that we're working in. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I don't really have too much experience on virtual, like working in a virtual team, but I do think, I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of studies done with respect to being in the same room versus having a teleconference or even, even these like really expensive boardrooms that it looks like you're sitting across the table from someone, there still is some value destruction there. And I mean, if you're looking for that, just Google it. There's a lot out there. I think there's a, there's a sorry, Rob, I was just going to, I was just going to add a little bit, which is, you know, there's, there's actually a, a fair few white papers that talk about the idea of the strength of camaraderie. And you see a lot of this in, uh, in military organizations uh, where ultimately the ability for the, for a team to perform is fundamentally rooted in shared experience and, and FaceTime. And I think that's, that's something which uh, which is perhaps underplayed within a virtualized environment or certainly within a virtualized organization. Well, that's interesting, Rob, because I've noticed that um, ex-military team members are particularly good at making sure they get in a room. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's either that or they're just after the, uh, the coffee machine that's in there. I was going to say the pub after work, but, you know, whichever. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I always say when I'm when I'm on site consulting, I always bring a box of donuts with me because it's it, it gets you further than you think. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so I, I I guess here I I wanna I wanna just mention I I modified this question because you guys are a little bit more on the asset management side than the pure reliability side, but I wanted to ask you this one because I think it's really it's a really interesting question. So the question is, what makes you the most nervous about asset management when you walk into a company? Rob, maybe you can you can kick us off. I think, I think for me, any time and every time I walk into an organization, I kind of have to mentally prepare myself for a very, let's say, a different interpretation of what I would believe to be a normal and efficient operating practice. And that kind of stems across the organization. I think Claire mentioned a little earlier in terms of asset management, sort of having, a, a you know, a, touching every kind of facet you could possibly imagine. It's very true. Um, likewise, you, you know, if you buy into that ideology, you have to also perhaps understand or, or, or give some merit to the possibility for an interpretation of some of these practices to be a little bit skew if and the other thing is is they can augment significantly based on a time scale so different people different knowledge uh, levels of knowledge continuity through an organization different slightly different interpretations and i think from my standpoint i see lots and lots of issues in terms of different areas of an organization different areas of a business perhaps not seeing the the point of specific interactions or the point of specific processes. And I, that's the sort of thing that I have to mentally prepare myself for. And that's the bit that kind of, it, it can make me a little bit nervous because it can be a relatively widespread problem. And then to have to try to, let's say, uh, perform some remedial action uh, to correct some of those areas, it can be met with, you know, not I wouldn't go as far as to say aggression, but it can be met with, uh, a difficulty again to realign people to share that message of let's all row the boat in the same direction rather than spinning around in circles you know there's no dispute that everyone is rowing hard and working hard 
uh, but it's much easier to try and paint the picture of where we're trying to go. And, and sometimes that can be uh, particularly nerving uh, for me. <laughs> Claire, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I was just going to, again, uh, this, some of those, that rings true for me as well, to the, the, the boat analogy especially. Um, so, so for me, uh, what makes me nervous is because because I often um, go to, as, as I guess these guys do, go to organisations who have, have already decided they want to do something differently and want to improve asset management. It's uh, two things make me nervous. One is a desire solely for an ISO 55000 certificate. Uh, and the second is the, the the extent to which the leadership of any organisation uh, or, or understands uh, asset management and um, the extent of leadership commitment that is needed to make it operate effectively, um, rather than it just being handed over to somebody to, to fix in an isolated short burst. Um, so the certificate makes me nervous because, um, as you know, certification is 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 not or it's the work to get to ISO certification that is of value to any organisation rather than the bit of paper that you may or may not get at the end. And if even if you get the bit of paper, actually getting any value out of asset management is kind of nothing to do with the certification itself, really. Um, so it's kind of the, the realism about what good asset management really is and the amount of effort it takes to do it, because it is a very, you know, it, it's a very hard um thing to do, to do properly because it means you know it can mean running your organization really quite differently and then the leadership um I, makes me nervous because uh, i think generally organizations underestimate the amount of sort of management time that's needed to deliver effective asset management because it's so often interpreted as, as a maintenance or engineering discipline as opposed to a strategic one of which engineering is one part and how much time would you say like management should spend on on asset management initiative so i i guess it's going to depend on sort of the what what they're trying to achieve ultimately um so but but for me um it's going to be about having um in, in most organizations some kind of leadership asset management steering committee that draws on all the different parts of the organization that are going to make it operate effectively um and and the the very senior leaders will need to be committing you know sort of you know, the top of the organization I would say you know say several hours a month to doing that and then as you get kind of more towards the management of you know um, directorates or, or you know whatever it is then you're looking at kind of certainly days per month if not making some people it's, it's their entire job so um, so I'd say it's a fairly significant amount of management time and it's about being very visible in the organization too so it's not just about you know sticking your name on the end of a policy it's about standing up almost literally in front of an organization and helping people to understand how you would like them to um behave differently or deliver processes differently or or, or whatever absolutely ashley do you want to give us any thoughts on what makes you nervous yeah, I guess um, I endorse all of what Rob and Claire have said. So the, perhaps the um, the other thing that comes to mind is an irrational sense of um, timing. So sometimes, you know, you might be presented with something which has got to be done in, a, you know, six months or it's got to be done in 12 months or, or you know, there's a time constraint and, and in a sense, you know, I think from the nature of the conversation we've already had today, you've you've got to understand that if it's an ongoing and continuous endeavour, that actually placing 
constraints on getting somewhere is probably unlikely to get you to where you want to be. But equally, Ashley, just just thinking about the fact that some people want to, you know, you always got to have those kind of, oh, I hate quick wins. You know what I mean? You've got to have something that kind of shows the point to make it a sales pitch. So some of the stuff you do is going to have to have a time constraint on it. But I completely agree that it's, you know, after a year we'll have done asset management and that will be a tick in our program box and then we can close that down. I completely agree with you on that score. It's just not the way it works. <laughs> yeah. No, asset I mean... Asset management is for life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we've talked about this on this show a lot of times, especially with the episode with Joe Kuhn, who is a former plant manager, is there is, like a lot of plant managers and whatever facility managers they're focused on the next quarter the next year and we do actually have to deliver some sort of value typically financial value within that short time frame to give them the excuse to take it long term so i think it's it's a balance on that now i guess we're we're coming to a little bit of a time constraint so for um just wrapping up here so so do you guys do you have anything to plug like hey, maybe ashley you can kick us off on plugs i've been um this year part of the council of the iam the institute of asset management and so in a sense we're thinking about what's the next year of our uh, well, the next 25 years of our journey being on the basis that we're 25 years this year um so I think that I would be um, keen to plug the Institute of Asset Management and also to engage people in this concept of asset stewardship and what asset stewardship might mean to them and um, how we as individuals can actually help that asset stewardship to actually help society in a more holistic way. So. Um, that's what I'm about. And I mean, I'd be very interested to hear from viewers or listeners or people who um, who are part of the podcast reliability community to think about, well, how could we how could we draw this sense of assets stewardship forward? That will be my plug. Yeah, absolutely. And if if you're looking to reach out to Ashley or Rob or Claire, just their their LinkedIn bio links will be in the podcast notes. And if you got through it through LinkedIn, they'll be tagged in the post. So feel free to reach out to them there. Claire, do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah. So obviously you can, if you want, you want to have a chat to me, you can find me through uh, various Atkins sites. I'm, I'm also, um, um, on the technical committee 251 TC251 for asset management which has a really useful website if um, anybody's interested in looking at that it has all of the uh, information about the way the ISO 55000 standard is developing including um, information about uh, the new guidance on financial alignment that came out um, in October November 2019 so I would suggest you take a look at that if you want to keep track of what's going on in the in the standard on um, asset management world similarly um, I'm on the UK committee to TC251 so if you're in the UK and you're interested in um, getting involved in standards development then um, have a look for that committee on LinkedIn. Rob anything to plug? Uh, I've, I've always got something to plug um, 
I would, uh, <laughs> I would perhaps uh, just change the word plug to challenge. Uh, and that would be just to uh, invite and to challenge some of your listeners to perhaps uh, think about attending um, the International Council on Systems Engineering Annual Conference, which is uh, in Cape Town next year, um, running from the 18th to the 23rd of July. Um, I think it's a fantastic opportunity to visit a country that you may not have uh, thought about visiting. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking um, is there is a growing project uh, that I'm working on along with um, a few familiar uh, sort of names uh, amongst the community. Um, it's, it's something, it's a platform, it's a sharing platform and a knowledge exchange uh, called myindex.org. And this is something which is hopefully in the early parts of 2020 will start to build a bit more of a, a sharing network so that people can collaborate a bit more openly across disciplines and hopefully uh, improve value and improve performance. Cool, cool, really cool. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to have the link for that, I'll drop it into the podcast notes. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested in in learning more about that and maybe we can hook up when you guys release the platform for full scale to, to have you back on to talk about it. Absolutely. Sounds really good. Awesome. So Ashley, Claire, Rob, I, I really appreciate you guys joining me today to talk a little bit about asset management and collaboration. It's been great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for your time, Rob. It's been insightful. It's been wonderful, Rob, to be part of it and with such great colleagues too. Um, fantastic. Can't wait for the next time. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. And I know we, I mean, we only got to like two or three questions, so we'll have to definitely have another one um, in the in 2020. So I appreciate you guys spending time with, with us today. And, and for everyone who's still listening, you know, I appreciate you guys listening and I hope you took some interesting points out of this one. If you haven't yet, just subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of these awesome episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.